Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast for busy pediatricians who want to better understand children's emotional health and behaviors and gain the skills and knowledge to help them thrive. I'm Leah Gugino, a primary care pediatrician. I see patients every day who struggle with depression, anxiety, and even suicidal thoughts. And I know you see these kids too. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Welcome back to Pediatric Meltdown. I am so excited that you're here today, and I am so thrilled to have Dr. Lee Beers with me today. Dr. Beers is our new president of the American Academy of Pediatrics as of January 1st, 2021. She is a professor of pediatrics and the medical director for community health and advocacy at Children's National Hospital. She oversees the Child Health Advocacy Institute's Community Mental Health Corps, which includes initiatives such as the DC Mental Health Access and Pediatrics Program and the Early Childhood Innovation Network, and serves as a catalyst to elevate the standard of mental health care for every young person in Washington, D.C., Dr. Beers earned her medical degree from Emory University School of Medicine and completed a pediatric residency at the Naval Medical Center in Portsmouth, Virginia. Prior to joining Children's National, she was a general pediatrician at the Naval Hospital in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. Her clinical and research interests include adolescent pregnancy and parenting, the integration of mental health and pediatric primary care, the impact of adversity and stress on child well-being, and advocacy education. Dr. Beers lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Nathaniel, and her two children. Please join me in warmly welcoming Dr. Lee Beers. Good morning, Lee. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Leah? I'm doing well, podcasting from my closet, as always. Maybe at some point I'll have something fancier, but right now it works, so... I am so excited to have you here, and for any of the listeners who don't know your name, they will know it shortly since you have taken the helm as the AAP president um, starting January 1, so today's the first business day, right? Yeah, exactly. So you got your roller skates on? I I think so. They're strapped on pretty tightly. I think I'm ready to go. (laughs) Well, it's nice because you've got a big team around you, so it's not a go-it-alone sport, right? No, absolutely not. The the team at AAP really, really is incredible. They've they've been great to work with. Well, I am delighted that you have set aside a little bit of time for me today. So I wanted to get started with some of your history about how you got into pediatrics, because I think it's fascinating. And no one I've talked to has had this beginning or trajectory. So why don't you talk a little bit about your military background? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd love to. So I, I, as you're alluding to, started my career as a pediatrician in the United States Navy. Um, I actually grew up in Annapolis near the Naval Academy, though, though it was not, you know, my family wasn't military, but I certainly was surrounded by that. And, and, and I think, you know, sort of through that influence and, and actually through Navy physician that I met, just kind of socially learned about opportunities to, you know, to be a physician in the military. And so um, kind of dove right into that. Um, I had a, a military scholarship during medical school and, and, and shortly thereafter, then after graduating medical school, did my residency at the Naval Medical Center in Portsmouth. 
and then uh, moved on to um, the the first duty station I was at was the Naval Hospital Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And so, you know, you sort of, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but but it really was, you know, there were a couple of things I think that went into my decision to enter into military medicine. I, I you know, have always wanted to be a pediatrician. And part of what drove me to do that was, was I think, a real um, interest in supporting families. And, and it really felt like the Navy and, and military medicine was a place where I, I could provide important support to a group of families who, who really faced unique stresses. And I think indeed that was the case. And, and I think both part of what I, I don't know that I fully anticipated when I made the decision to, to become, uh, to join the Navy as, as a pediatrician was sort of the other pieces that, the, the other ways that would really influence my career. You know, my my very first, as I said, duty station was at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and uh, um, that's a pretty remote duty station. Uh, you're the only pediatrician there. I was right out of residency, uh, you know, and and responsible for the health and well-being of all the kids on base. Um, and so I really had to had had to learn how to do that, right? I, I, I really had to um, think about how do I take care of the kids, not just in my office, but how do I take care of them, thinking about all the other aspects of their life, their education and what's happening in their community and what's happening in their family and really taking a very public health approach to pediatrics um, and, and really being able to then see, because we got to know the family so well, really being able to see the way all those different things impacted my family's lives, um, who I took care of. And so it really was a very formative time in so many ways. And, and really, I think, shaped the way that I began to think about pediatrics and, and being a pediatrician. It sounds like it could be super exciting. Like, I get this whole base to myself and a practice that I can make my own. And then absolutely terrifying, like, I'm it. And kind of, not only is it rural medicine, but then you're on an island away from all the big services that you would have on the mainland. Did it feel like that? Yeah, I know. It absolutely felt like that. I mean, I, you know, remember, I, gosh, I, I don't think I had been on the base 48 hours and and was faced with, with actually kind of a difficult decision about a mother who was pregnant with a high risk pregnancy and whether or not she would stay on base or go back to the States. And I thought, gosh, you know, this is a lot, you know, and everyone was looking to me as the expert and I was about 48 hours out uh, after finishing residency. And so, um, you know, made all those decisions uh, as really the lead expert. And so, so it really, um, you know, you, you had to, it, it was, it, it was overwhelming and, and intimidating at times, but you know, it's also, again, I think back to some of the things we learned, it's where you really learn to work together as a team and you learn to to use your resources and you learn to sort of look to those and learn from others. It's actually, that was a really uh, kind of interesting opportunity, how that intersected or experience, how that intersected with BAP, because actually, you know, as I said, this was a situation where it was a, a pregnant mother who was experiencing a high-risk pregnancy and, and in, in making the decision about how we were going to manage that, 
I actually reached out to, to AP experts and um, folks who had had written the guidance around sort of how to care for, for high-risk pregnancies and, and what some of the needs were and what some of the resources which were required were. And so, you know, from, from pretty early on, I, I really recognized and was able to take advantage of, of the educational and policy resources that AP had to offer me. And I, I, was, I was forever grateful for that, I, I have to say. So, um, but yeah, it's, it, it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was quite, quite a, a way to start your pediatric practice just right out of residency, um, you know, in a pretty remote place where, where you didn't have access to all the, the things you were used to having access to in residency. It was, you know, it was a time where, I mean, we did have internet, but it was pretty slow dial up internet. And so it wasn't like, uh, you know, we, it, there wasn't the easy connectivity that, that, uh, that, that we, we enjoy now. Um, so there were, there were a lot of things about it that were, were, um, uh, you know, a really important learning experience. So no up to date and you couldn't Google everything. I bet you kept the red book handy. I did. I definitely had the red book handy, and I I had uh, my my attendings from residency. I I had all their phone numbers taped up next to my phone, so I would try to catch them in their offices too. And when I had questions, but uh, yeah, you you know you you learn to use the resources that you have. So there's you depend on yourself, but the bigger message I think is um, find friends that can help you out, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and ask absolutely. for help. Ask yep. for help. No, no shame in that. So how long were you there? I was there 18 months. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. What a learning experience. Mm-hmm. And then you moved on to DC. Is that right? Yeah. I, or DC area. Um, from, from Guantanamo Bay, I went to, um, well, what at the time was called the, the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda. So it's now been merged. It's now merged with Walter Reed and, and is, is one facility now, but but I I went there and that was a very different experience because that that was a medical facility that had pretty much everything available to us um, and and in a very uh, an area with access to a lot of different things. Um, it was also a teaching hospital. We had a residency program there, and so that was actually another kind of really great informative experience was was the opportunity to to be involved with medical education and the opportunity to really be involved with with training our next generation of pediatricians and and that that was a great experience as well and at some point then you got involved in this teen and tot program how how did that come about yeah so that was after i um finished my time with the Navy uh, and and had decided for a variety of different reasons, a lot of family reasons, actually, that I was uh, going to move on from, from the Navy and into civilian pediatrics. I took a job where I am now, actually, at Children's National in, Hospital in D.C. And uh, I took a job with our community pediatrics division. Um, and uh, part of that position actually involved taking leadership over uh, what's called a teen tot clinic. So it's a, a clinic where we provide care, medical care for adolescent parents and their children in the same clinical setting, um, providing medical care, social work, mental health ser- supports and services. And so took over that. That was another new experience. I'd never run a program like that before. Uh, never had to, to think about grant funding or, or any of those other things that, that go along um, with running a program. But, but but it, it was a really great experience. And, and it was incredibly exciting to me because I think through 
my early years of pediatrics and my time in the military, I, uh, you know, I, I realized that, you know, I really, I, I loved caring for infants and toddlers and I loved caring for adolescents. And I, I loved thinking about mental health and how social influences impact the health and well-being of families. And, and all of those things really came together for me uh, in, in, these teen, in the Teen Talk Clinic. And so it was a really a wonderful opportunity to, to be able to, to take that on. So were there some things that kind of came to mind about what's going on with parenting and how it impacts infants and their development in that experience? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it was, it, there were a lot of things actually. And, and, and I think to, to the pediatricians who are listening, this, none of this will be a surprise to, to any of you, but the the health and and well-being of of the parent no matter what their age really you know is so so interrelated with the health and well-being of of an infant and a, of a child right and so thinking about how we care for the whole family you know really makes a difference on on the out for the outcomes of, of children um and and i think you know, the other thing, and, and this was actually one of my favorite things to teach our, our residents and medical students when they when they came to work with us in in our in this teen talk clinic, which is called Generation. You know, one of my favorite things to teach them is that they they would sort of come into the clinic and they would be super worried about it. And they would think, oh my gosh, you know, these are teen parents, it's gonna be so difficult. This is gonna be such a, you know, um unpleasant situation. Uh, this is gonna be super stressful, everything's gonna be very chaotic. And they would come and they would meet these families who were just doing beautifully and they were thriving and, 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 you know, despite all the challenges that the young parents were facing, they, they were really just focused and attuned to their, to their children and, and just doing beautifully. And, and they would come away saying, wow, that was really fun. Actually, <laughs> they're doing amazing. They're doing so like, I can't even imagine being in their situation. And so, and on the flip side, you would uh, then you would also take care of families who were struggling, um, and you would see how those struggles were would impact the health and well-being of their child, and you would see um, how those all those other influences made such a difference into in the health of, of, of children. Um, and so it really, you know, I think it really influenced me um, to to think even more deeply about the importance of of parent support and family support, and the importance of really. Um, making sure that as we're caring for for infants and children, we're also thinking about how how the family uh, uh, intersects with that. Teens are surprising, aren't they? Yeah. I I actually really enjoy talking to teenagers, and I don't know. I think partly because they're curious, and also because they are separate from their parents to some degree, and. Yeah they're on this trajectory where you feel like you can make an impact. What were some of the things that you saw that supported those who thrived and those who were struggling? Was there some common denominator? Yeah. You know, I I think um, there were a couple of things, right? I I think, um, you know, the families who were struggling, you know, there, there often were so many other influences on why they were struggling. There were um, challenges in their home or in their community. Um, they were facing a, a tremendous amount of stress, often often violence in their community. Um, very, very commonly had experienced 
significant trauma in their own childhoods, um, which which clearly impacted their health and well-being as 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 teenagers and and young adults. Um, and so so you know the families who were struggling really um, you know all all these things were were kind of on them, and they they didn't always have the the social supports and the supports around them to 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 help them build their resilience. Um, you know, the families who were were thriving, often you you would see that they they might face some of the same challenges in terms of um, resource challenges or or community, uh, you know, um, barriers in their community, you know, lack of resources in their community, but they were much more likely to have supportive family. They were much more likely to um, have um, a network around them that that could build them up. So, and that that wasn't always the case, right? Um, um, but 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 certainly that was a common denominator. Um, and I think you know, even though for the for the families who really were, you know, might have experienced trauma in their own past or or were really facing significant challenges, if they were able to effectively access mental health treatment, I want that was one of the things that I saw made just such a big difference um, for for them and and for their family. Um, was to be able to access really um, uh, effective and accessible mental health care, um, and and again, I think that's um, something that that influenced the way I thought about my career and the things I wanted to do as a pediatrician was was recognizing how important that was for for parents and families and kids and adolescents and um, how difficult it was sometimes to access that care in in community settings. And so, trying to think about what the thing what what were the things that we could do um, within our own practice. To, to help make that care more accessible to families. Well, and I think this is a perfect intersect to talk about integrated behavioral health. And for those folks that don't know what that is, I mean, it's a fancy way of saying having help at your hip, I, you know, right there. Because, you know, we've all seen those families that, you know, they sort of live from crisis to crisis. And everything's hard, financially, transportation, food, school, I mean, it just all falls apart in some ways. And I think we all struggle with how on earth am I supposed to, you know, fix this because I think we're all fixers, right? And when we began having behavioral health in our office, where I could say, hey, I get that you're struggling here. And I have somebody on my team that is really good at this. Could I bring them in here a minute? It was very different than saying, here's the name of a therapist. Can you call and, you know, where I'm putting it on them. I kind of liken it to, you know, if somebody, you found a, a, a breast lump and you thought, gosh, could this be cancer? The last thing we would do is say, well, here's a list of oncologists. Why don't you just call around and get an appointment? And I'm not sure if they'll take your insurance or not, but um and, and then that was the last we knew of it. We just don't do that. We we handhold a bit. So um, talk about integrated behavioral health because I know you've done a lot of research and you've got some you've gotten some big grants to do work on that, and I think have been a leader. Oh, thanks. And, and I, um, I, I love the way you phrase that help at your hip. I think that's terrific. <laughs> I think that's a, a really good, uh, a, a really good way to describe that. Um, you know, and I, I think the other piece about integrated mental health that is so important is that the trust and relationship issues 
Um, you know, I think that that you know, back to sort of my early experiences with this with our with with generations with our our teen tot clinic. Um, when, when I first st- started with the clinic, we we did have some integrated mental health, but it was very limited. Um, it was a half day a week, and so um, it was it was good to have, but but our our mental health provider wasn't there all the time, right? And so we we did still have to make a lot of referrals uh, out into community mental health services, and and I think. Gosh, I mean, they almost never followed. You know, it, 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 that 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 connection almost never was made um, for a, for a wide variety of reasons. Um, but but a lot of it really came down to trust and relationships. And and when we were able to expand the availability of mental health services within our clinic and and had the opportunity to really have our mental health providers develop that trust with families and that relationship with families it just things opened up in such a different way um and and parents and kids were able to get treatment much more easily and they 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 felt like like the the mental health provider in our clinic was someone who who they could be vulnerable with, um, who they could open up to. Um, it also made it a lot easier, right? We all have ups and downs in our lives and times where things are busier or less busy or times where we are better able to follow through than than others. And it it, it was a, it made it much easier for families to um, engage, you know, re-engage when they when when they dropped off. And that that was another really important point. And they, you know, families would sort of know, like, oh, you know, there is this person and I, you know, talked to her and that was really helpful. And I haven't talked to her in a little while, but I think I need to again. Um, and they would come back to that. And so that those that 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 long-standing relationship piece was really important as well. You know, and I think just as a as a general statement. You know, we we really are facing a significant mental health crisis for all adults as well, but but for you know for children and adolescents um, in in our country. And you know, we have work there are workforce issues. We don't there aren't enough uh, pediatric mental health providers. Um, the access and the the fi- you know financial and other barriers can can be really substantive. And so, and we have to think creatively about how can we expand. Um, to high quality mental health care and, and being able to, to integrate those supports into places where families live, live work and play, um, and that includes the pediatric office, um, um, are, are, it, it, that's a really important way to expand uh, the support and access that, that families need. One of the things I think also makes a difference is that the families and the kids see this mental health person as an extension of me. So it's not like I'm sending you out there to see a therapist that I don't know. I'm bringing in somebody that works with Dr. Gugino. And when I'm coming back to see this social worker therapist in her office, I'm coming to her office and that's not that big a deal. I'm not going to therapy. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to see somebody that Dr. Gugino knows and works with and and it's different. It's very different. And the follow through, I do think that there's something to be said, if there's anything positive to be said about COVID, is that the um, the telehealth opportunity that has come up, I mean, who knew that we would be doing this? But now our social workers actually could do some of the work from their home when it wasn't safe for them to come in and could reach families who had transportation issues. So as long as they had some kind of access to a phone or computer, I mean, there were limitations. 
Um, but, you know, they could call that person. And so there has been some tie-in. You know, from an AAP standpoint, since you now are in this leadership position, do you think that there's some avenues to advocate for these kind of services to be established and paid for so that we're not scraping by? I mean, because I think of small practices that, you know, maybe they can't afford to have a social worker on staff and they're trying to figure that out. But man, once you have somebody, you cannot imagine how you did it without them. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I, and I think that's really important, right? I mean, I, 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 I think about this a lot. I mean, we, I, I've been, um, you know, I've been very fortunate in, in the, the role that I have in a children's hospital that, that I, you know, have more, um, resources available to me and probably more opportunities for external funding or grant funding or philanthropic funding to support these services. But we really shouldn't be relying on that um, for the supports and services that our families need. And they should be available to, to children and families really across our country and in, you know, in small practices and large practices and urban areas and rural areas. And, and, and the way we do that is to um, make sure that, that um, our professionals are being paid for the services that they're providing um, in the place that is the, the most effective and accessible for families. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there, there are, have been some good, um, you know, there, there's been some good momentum here already and some practices uh, have been able to really um, uh, effectively and uh, uh, integrate mental health care into their practices and have that be um, paid for in a sustainable way, but it's, it's not easy. And so we need to reduce the barriers there and we need to, to really focus on, on parity um, for um, mental and behavioral health visits uh, as compared to other other medical visits. Um, and I think there's there's also lots of opportunity for other sort of novel and alternative payment models that, that can really help support and make sure that these services are available to practices in a sustainable way. Um, I also think there's 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 lots of good opportunity um, for for support and education. Um, there's lots of good opportunity to to um, support. You know, I think as as you were talking, Leah, too, just about the benefits of having mental health providers in your practice. I think one of the other really great things is is the ability to coordinate care um, and the ability to coordinate care back and forth between the pediatrician and and the mental health providers. And so, um, you know, I think there's, there's lots of policy and advocacy work that we can do there as well to help, help support that and, and help make sure that that time spent in, in the coordination of care is, is paid for as, as it should be. So I think, I think there's a lot of great opportunities, uh, for us to, to, to really help advance, um, uh, the access to quality mental health services and, and access to the services in the medical home. I think if every, payer CEO and every congressperson had a family member that would benefit from this, I think they would appreciate why it matters so much. And, you know, it impacts everybody. It's not just pediatrics. I have, um, you know, friends that are orthopedic surgeon and, you know, he said, if I've got a depressed or suicidal patient, one, having a hip replacement isn't going to change their life. You know, I mean, if they if they die by suicide, then, you know, does that matter? 
and can I help? And also the outcome of the surgery is way better if somebody isn't depressed. Um, I mean, people don't die as often after an MI if they don't have depression. So it, you know, from a, a return on investment standpoint, it makes tremendous self, but it's not sexy, you know? I mean, people's, you know, kind of messy lives is not pretty. And so it, it's, I, I don't think people want to dip their toe in that sometimes. But, you know, I just think of so many situations, you know, again, back to sort of the worst case scenario, you know, the kid with a suicide suicidal ideation, we've screened because we're supposed to be screening, right? That's a, a a health parameter we're supposed to be looking at. But then what do you do if you find that? Well, if you have somebody you can say, gosh, this is so hard and I know you must feel awful, but I have somebody right here. I'm going to have her come in and talk with you for a little bit. And we're going to come up with a plan so that we can help you feel like that's not the only alternative. And for their parent, because their parents a lot of times don't even know well, that takes a lot of time and I can do it, but if I have somebody that can help me do it, it's just so much better. And I think if we as a a body of 67,000 pediatricians say, this is something we really need and payers need to pay for this so that we can do it better, uh, you know, that there's a lot of power in numbers. I mean, we see so many things that the AAP has been able to turn the tide on, mm-hmm. Um I hope to see some of those things. I know mental health is one of the priorities on your agenda. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, and you touched on this a bit too, you know, it's it's really important for us to make sure that, that, you know, access to services is sustainable, but, but also prevention is really important. Um, screening and, um, you know, developmental supports within a practice and, and, and the things that, that we do as pediatricians that help promote social emotional health, um, those things need, need to be supported and, and, and paid for as well. I, I often think of it as, you know, I, I would never, uh, take care of an asthmatic patient and, and not, prescribe a controller medication if that's what was indicated um, and and just wait for them to to come in uh, in status asthmaticus. I, I you know we're, that that's not good medical care right and nor is it good medical care for us to um, uh, not really be able to focus on the on the prevention aspects of, of mental health and 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 that as you as you point out takes time. Uh, and it takes expertise and it also, and it often takes multidisciplinary expertise. And so it's important for us to, to be able to support and sustain those things, um, which we all love to do, right? That's part of why we all went into pediatrics to begin with. Um, we're, we're all, I think, preventative medicine specialists at heart, right? Um, in pediatrics. Uh, and so, so, you know, we, 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 it's, it's, it's important, um, to, to really, push to, to value that aspect of those aspects of, of the care that we provide um, uh, in, in on prevention as well as treatment. Well, and I think that's one of the things that pediatricians are really good at. Mm-hmm. Is I was just having a long conversation with a child psychiatrist who's triple boarded, and he said, you know, psychiatrists often don't have the understanding about normal pediatric development because what they see is psychopathology after they've done adult psychiatry. Whereas when he said, when I did the triple board, not only did I see child 
pathology, but I saw all the normal stuff too. And that's where those partnerships between, you know, psychiatry, mental health, who see the problems also because we're good at seeing the stuff that's going well, right? I think pediatricians are really going good at saying this kid's developing really well, or there's a little glitch here. I can help with that. Or eh, this is, you know, this is a signal. He's not walking and he's, you know, 18 months. That's a problem. We're good at that. So how do you see the, from kind of the AAP leadership mm-hmm. position, but also, I mean, you've been on the other end out in the boonies in Guantanamo Bay. So for practicing physicians, whether they're in primary care, subspecialty care, hospitalist-based care, how, how do you see that they can utilize the AAP advocacy and do something themselves to make this better? I mean, is there a way to connect from that local, you know, I'm a doc out in a small town, how am I possibly going to have the power to make change? No, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, you know, the, the first thing I would say is that, is that each and every one of us has the power to make change. Um, and, and, and that's, I think, a, a really important thing for us all uh, to remember is that, is that we, we each have the power to make change and that when we come together, we're even stronger. Um, and, and so then when I think about how, you know, often the AP talks about sort of the, the big buckets of work that it does and, and sort of groups it into three big areas, education, policy, and advocacy. Uh, and so, you know, kind of applying that to those three buckets, you know, when you think about education, right, um, that's education to other health professionals. And so we can, um, you know, be working in multidisciplinary teams and, and uh, you know, learning from each other. We can be thinking about how we educate our patients and families and, and communities about the importance of mental health and mental health care so that 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 folks begin to really understand why this is important and, and what things about it are important. Um, there's lots of AP resources available to, to be able to do that. You're not on your own. You, you don't have to be researching and writing your own educational materials. There's there's a tremendous amount um, of material there to draw from. You know, there's there's the policy side of things, which is, um, you know, when you say policy, often you the, the the academy policy. So kind of looking to, you know, what are what are the best practices, what are our recommendations for practice and working to implement those into your practice or while working with your colleagues to, to do that in a, a more global way. Uh, one of the more fun uh, things, initiatives that we did early on here in our mental health work in DC was a, a learning collaborative to help support pediatricians across the city to integrate mental health screening into their their practices at, at well visits. Um, and you know it was a bit that that's those of us who work in primary care know it's it's you know so if you don't do it you think oh it's no big deal right you just add a add a survey and you give it to your patients and that's that's no big deal right but it is a big deal and it's hard and it's it's a big change in workflow it's and huge deal. That. It's a huge deal and you have to you know and as you mentioned earlier you also have to be able to respond if you get a concern that arises from the screen. And so um so it, it is a big undertaking and so that that was actually a really fun initiative to be able to work with practices across the city to sort of help think about how that how how they could do that in their own individual settings um, and how we could serve support centrally um, particularly with with things like 
connection to resources and and other other aspects of the, what do you do when you get a positive screen. Um, and then there's the third piece, which is advocacy, and that's really where um, you know we is another way for us as pediatricians to use our voice to to speak up and and talk about why why changes are important and necessary and what are the things that can help support us in providing the care that that we know children and families need and deserve. Um, I, I also think as pediatricians we have a really special and unique voice because we're we are privileged to hear and see the the stories and the things that our families and patients experience on a day-to-day basis that 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 not everyone has a window into. And so we we have that privilege and and we can often use our voice to to share those stories and in the identified ways, of course, uh, right? In HIPAA compliant ways, but we can we can use our voice to share those stories to help um, our policymakers and our communities really understand why these changes are important um, and why it's important to to work together as 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 a community, as teams, you know, with 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 our experts to to really make the needed changes. You touched on some really important things. One the power to make change. I think of Moira Szilagyi, and she was actually one of my first episodes, who's our upcoming uh, mm-hmm. president-elect. And, you know, she was a resident in a foster care clinic and just said, this is abysmal. And what can I do to make it better? And now she's a leader in foster care. Um really transformation. And, you know, it's easy to look at that and say, oh, there's no way I could do what she did. You know, she's, you know, gosh, at a huge institution and has all these things to her name, but she started somewhere, right? Um, The other thing is that you don't have to make this all up, that a lot of people have led change and done other things. Um, And in Michigan, our chapter, we have a training program on mental health and we've been um, training pediatricians about how to respond to a positive suicide question. What do you do with that? And that by the end of your visit with a kid, you can have an ass- kind of an assessment of like, how bad is this? You know, we really try and push take home. Like if somebody discloses that they're having thoughts of killing themselves, you need to know how bad is that? I mean, you just you just need to know. And, and I think pushing, and, and again, I'm not funded in any way by the AAP. I'm speaking totally on my own behalf, but um, chapters, that is a place to get started. And I think if people listening are not chapter members and they're pediatricians, join your chapter um, because you can do local work with the support of your state chapter. And then our state chapters can share ideas. And that's the way we, we build things. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for how the AAP functions. Oh, I think that's so true. I, I, and and you know, when I think about, you know, I, I often have have you know, often residents or junior faculty or, or others ask me, you know, junior younger pediatricians ask me for advice about like, how do I how do I get involved in advocacy? How do I how do I how do I take those the you know grains and 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 uh, get more involved and I think two of the big pieces of advice I give them are, you know, one, look for your partners and look for the people who you can work together with because none of us can do this on our own. Uh, and so it, 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 it really takes all of us in to look for our partners. And I agree that AAP chapters are just such an important place for that. And, and you'll find so many good partners there and, and so many folks who have 
such wide ranging expertise and experience who can really support you and, and connections to community, community groups and community agencies. And so, so that's, that's actually a really important point. And, and I think the, the second piece, and I, I think about this with Moira's work too, and I certainly have experienced it in my own, you know, if, you know, people sometimes say, well, what, what should I get involved in? Well, think about, you know, what is, what is the thing if you go about your day to day practice? What's the thing that just really makes you mad? Um, what's the thing that just really, you know, you go home at night and think this shouldn't be this way. Um, and maybe that's the thing that that is your thing, right? Maybe that's your passion. If, if it's, if, if it's sticking with you as being something that just isn't right and needs to change. Um, maybe you're the one to change it. And I, and I agree, you know, I, I really didn't begin my career as a pediatrician thinking I was going to be a child health advocate. But each, you know, each time I took a little bit more of a baby step, but a little bit more of a baby step. And the next thing I knew, here I am, right? Um, and so this is a, you know, it is a, it isn't where I thought I'd be when I started my career. But, but as, as you, you start to take things on and you start to realize to make a difference, it gets, Well, and I want to thank you so much for the work that you've done and the work that you're going to do, because there's lots of work to do and that we're really fortunate to have someone that's had the breadth of experience, you know, right from the ground up. I'm, you know, the only pediatrician far away from resources. Um, You know, I don't have a big institution, but also then moving into different settings and seeing that. Um, And I'm sure when you were a little girl, you didn't think uh, when I grow up, I want to be AAP president. But as you said, here you are. So um, and I think the parting word is, you know, be the change. Right. I know that might sound trite, but if something isn't right, make it right to the extent that you can and find others who will champion with you. You know, again, we don't have to go go this alone. Um, So. Well, thank you. I'm excited to see all the things that will happen under your leadership. And I know that you have other partners in leadership as well. And uh, it's very exciting, very exciting. And I uh, so appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk today. And and thank you for all that, that you were doing. Um, it's really great, really great work. So thank well, you. Well, thanks. It's super fun. And I forgot my one question. Um, if you were going to go back and tell yourself something, your resident self, what would it be? You know, I, I think it would be don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't underestimate yourself because, because you, you, you can do more than you think you can. Um, and and that, 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 would, that would have been my advice to myself back then. But that's, that's my ad- advice to others now is don't, don't underestimate yourself and don't be afraid. You can do more than you can. Well, thanks again. And I wish the best to you this year. Um, I know there'll be a lot of challenges. And, but I'm so glad that you're in the position you are to help make change. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you can't tell, I am having a blast doing this podcast because I get to talk to such amazing people. I was so honored to have time with Dr. Beers today. She's a lovely individual and an outstanding leader, and we are really lucky to have her at the AAP as our president. And she's in really great company of Dr. Sally Goza, who's the immediate past president, and Dr. Moya Salaji, who is the 
AAP president-elect. I mean, what, what a powerhouse of women. One of the things that really came across during our conversation was Dr. Beer's keen understanding about the need for mental health access and emphasizing that caring for kids from infancy through young adulthood offers these amazing touch points to intersect and intervene, and that we have this unique privilege to impact kids so in so many different ways. I mean, whether they're there for a well visit, a, a chronic illness, or an ear infection, we just have all these opportunities to, to touch their lives and make a difference. There were lots of takeaways, but I jotted down a few that I thought I would remind myself and summarize. Um, number one, that the health and well-being of parents is critical. You know, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. I think that's really true. And, and of course, daddy too, um, or mama too, whoever your family is, it might be grandma. But, you know, if the caregivers are not well, it's going to be hard for the children to be well. Number two, kind of on that same note, when she was working with teen moms, there were clearly those that were struggling and those that were thriving. And the ones that were thriving, the common thread was that there was family support. And for those that had had pretty traumatic histories and some significant adverse experiences, it was mental health access that, as she put it, saved them. And that brings me to number three, integrated behavioral health, this idea of having mental health right where you are, help at the hip, that helps you know support families where they are and when they need it, so that we're not referring them out to a therapist across town where they honestly may not even go. And so if we can do that right in our offices, it, it's just ideal. And for those of you that have not had integrated behavioral health, Advocate with your payers, advocate with your institutions, advocate with your partners, and find a way to have someone in your office. I'm telling you, it will change your life. It is a game changer for sure. Number four, um, the AAP focus this year is, of course, COVID-19 continues to be on our radar. I mean, it's at the front of everything, right? Um, And certainly with vaccine and return to school, there's so many issues that are you know, near and dear to a pediatrician's heart, equity, um, both how we deliver care equitably, um, how we make sure that we have diversity and inclusion at all levels, whether it's in our practices or in our institutions, uh, in leadership capability and mental health access. So I, I think what she talked about, particularly with integrated behavioral health, those all speak to things that kids need. And and honestly, these three things, COVID, health equity, and mental health are all linked together. And I think, you know, in this year that comes, these kids are going to need our help in so many different ways. She nicely laid out about the AAP's mission of education, creating policy, and advocacy. And, you know, when you want to make change, I love what she said is, you know, the the place to make change is something that makes you mad, something where you say, this just isn't right, something needs to be done, that that's where you pick up the phone, you pick up your pen, and you start coming up with a plan to do something differently. But you don't have to do it by yourself. You don't have to create it, you know, de novo. The AAP has lots of resources. So, you know, 
use your membership to find that. And if you are a mental health provider out there, partner up with us. You know, we, we love our teams. And the last part about, you know, the advice she would give to her younger self, I thought this was just wonderful. And I think all of us need to remember that is don't be afraid. No matter where you are in your career, um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take risks, to do something new. Um, and, you know, sometimes things are not going to work out. I've had many projects that I just thought were such brilliant ideas and put lots of energy into them. And it just didn't go. I didn't have the support. It wasn't the right, you know, I, I didn't do it the right way or there was something missing. And it was heartbreaking and frustrating. But, you know, sometimes it, then it kind of re-sprang up again and, you know, developed into something special, but not always at, at the first. So keep at it, you know, be perseverant. If you're a pediatrician, it took you a long time to get where you are. So, you know, be persistent, you know, fight the good fight. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do um, the right thing on behalf of kids because it's always right. Thank you again for spending your time with me. And as always, I hope you're safe. I hope that you get your vaccine and that you're taking care of yourself and your families. Thank you again for what you do, being a pediatrician, um, being a parent, being a mental health professional, a teacher, educated, whomever you are. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. I know how busy you are, and I so appreciate your time. If this has been helpful, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. I would love to hear from you and welcome all feedback, ideas, and suggestions for future episodes. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. Let's do better together.